Welcome to the Operation Restored Warrior Podcast. We are first of all veterans helping veterans find healing and restoration through the power of Jesus. Join us as we share stories of what Jesus is doing for our nation's warriors, as we share tools and resources to empower you to a deeper relationship with Jesus, and as we introduce you to our amazing partners that are advancing the kingdom of God across the globe. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Operation Restored Warrior podcast. I'm your host, David Boddy. My guest today spent 18 years as an Air Force pararescueman, or PJ, five combat deployments, both to Afghanistan and to Africa. He was a recipient of the Air Medal with Valor. He's a husband, father to five kids. Bill Strauss, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, I've been looking forward to getting you on the show and, and talking a bit about your story. We're here on site getting ready for a drop zone and kind of resting and getting ready to rock and roll. That's right. Ta- getting ready for the work that Jesus is going to do. And yeah. It's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> such, such a privilege to be a part of the team. Great to have you on the team. Um, so we're just kind of working through the team, getting a chance to introduce everybody, hear a bit of everybody's story. And for you, just to start with, love to hear a little bit about how you grew up and uh, what, what life was like and really what, what led you to the military. Yeah, so growing up, um, yeah, I grew up small farm in Michigan, kind of northern lower peninsula, and uh, kind of had, I don't know, for me, a boyhood dream of just having everything. You know, we had decent sized farm, you know, um, animals just everywhere, and I had enough tractors to play with and ride on, and yeah, we always, we always never had excess, but we always had what we needed, and yeah, it was good. It was good growing up, and uh, kind of ended a little sooner than I hoped it would. Uh, my dad passed away when I was pretty young, mm. and then uh, moved around a few times after that to live with my mom, and, uh, and then I got in. I guess just growing up, just uh, I guess I wasn't a huge fan of the mom-stepdad relationship. It mm. seemed very hostile to me, and it still looks that way in the rearview mirror, but, uh, but it, it was so good and there was so much growth in it because then I became, I really liked outdoors and hunting and fishing. So that's what I did to escape. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, n- I was never a kid that liked to watch TV. I was always outside doing something, building a fort and I don't know, hunting something or yeah. fishing and yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Shirtless, barefoot, running around in the woods. That's, yeah, that's, that's what right. we need as boys growing up, right? Yeah. When we had the farm, it was like, as soon as I could get up in my little shorts, I, I probably had shoes. I never wore shoes very often. <laughs> but uh, yeah, usually not a shirt, and I was just on a horse as fast as I could and just mm. riding. And our horses were, we actually had a working horse farm. So oh, okay. we used our horses a lot for uh, doing field work and hauling hay and doing everything. It was pretty amazing. But so we had draft horses. They were so docile. They were just, they didn't care where the pets came from. They just. <laughs> They're like big pets to me, and I just rode on them. And they were so big, you could literally, I could lay down on them. Oh, wow. It was just crazy. <laughs> but That's awesome. Yeah, it was good. So do you feel like 
in your growing up years, like you're heavily involved outside and things like that, was, was joining the military something that was a dream of yours through those years or, or did that come in later on? You know, I don't really know where that come from, except for I knew I liked to help people. Hmm. I think that was probably more of a, and I always, you know, uh, I don't know, just that hero mentality thing was something I always wanted to do and be. Hmm. It was like that childhood type dream again. Like John Wayne was a huge character that I looked up to as like, especially if my dad died, like as that father figure that I wanted to find mm-hmm. type of thing and be and just always willing to stick his neck out and mm-hmm. you know save as many people as he could and rescue the damsel in distress and all oh that yeah. stuff and yeah so it's actually interesting because i went down to get my son his drivers sorry to make this a long story but <laughs> to get him his uh temporary permit and now you can your kid you can sign your kid up for the draft like at 15. oh right 15. and they're like no he just goes on like temporary list and i'm like yep <laughs> Sure. No, thank you. <laughs> but uh, I remember leaving because I turned 18 in high school and I l- went my lunch break to leave the campus. So I walked over and signed up like that. Like that was a big deal for me. And I remember teachers being like, you did what? I was like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Mm. As American, you're supposed to go sign up and be ready, you know. Right. And I remember teachers were like really confused. They're like, what the heck? <laughs> Male teachers. And I was just like. I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah. You're confusing me and you're questioning, you know. But uh yeah, and then when nine eleven happened, you know, that whole just that kinda almost empowering to go do it at that mm-hmm. point became a thing. So Yeah. yeah. Did did you have family that was in the military? So yes, yeah, so well, kinda I guess. My sister's ex husband was a Marine. Um and he was actually on float when when everything happened when the uh, the trade centers were bombed and everything and he literally called because they got one phone call from their ship to shore when they landed in port or whatever and uh, he got one call and he called my sister they were still married at the time and he, he said you tell billy not to sign up because i would become a marine because he was kind of like this huge big brother to me growing up like i of course got in trouble a bit in school and he was like that guy that would come pick me up when i was suspended from school and <laughs> uh, do stuff with me and actually spend time with me where yeah. everyone else was just like you're a terrible kid you know right and uh but all i wanted to do was was live and find life and mm. But uh, yeah, so he was, that was very much okay. I'll wait for you, you know, and it was probably eight months later, he finally got home, it was in December. I guess it was, yeah, four months. And uh, seemed like forever. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'd already talked to recruiters and trying to figure out what I was gonna do. And, but I was just waiting on him mm. to get back. And yeah, that, and he's like, you're gonna be a PJ. And I'm like, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going in the Air Force, you know? No way, it's a joke, you know, I want to be a Marine like you. And he's like, no, you're going to be a PJ. He's like, you're not going to get what you need to get out of being a Marine. You need mm. to go be a PJ. I'm like, all right, I'll look into it, you know. And that was it. Wow. And that started the whole flow of things. So. so how much longer after he came back and you had that conversation was it until you joined? It, it, uh, so then you could come in 
so this was yeah 2000 2001 i started talking to recruiters in december after he called me or i got or he got home and then it took time because in order to be a pj you had to pass the pass test mm-hmm. i didn't even know how to swim and that's a big part of being a pj and which i had no idea i was very computer savvy and i'm still not but <laughs> but uh yeah i'd watch i'd go down before work you know, at 4.30 in the morning, I watched the old people swim laps. That's how I learned how to do the, the front crawl. And then wow. uh, my wife taught me how to tread water in the lake. We'd go, I'd go fishing all the time. And so we'd just start jumping in the water, and she'd teach me how to tread water. And wow. Yeah. It's, it's, I've actually heard that story a few times where guys <laughs> either, either PJs or maybe even SEALs, where they're like, oh, I wasn't a very good swimmer. I just figured it out either right immediately before going off to buds or to training or even uh, i heard a story about one guy who was who literally learned how to swim during navy boot camp leading up to uh, buds it's incredible that that shows a lot of resilience and uh, veracity there so you jump into the pipeline and that's a pretty long pipeline uh for for pj a couple years right yep yeah at the time it was i don't even know what it is now everything's changed Mm -hmm. but um two and a half years was getting through pretty quick i never i made it through all my courses most of the time but then when you're on active duty it was uh they put you alphabetically as you came in unless you were an officer or a prior service guy excuse me (laughs) his hair (laughs) but uh yeah unless you were or uh, like a prior service so like a senior nco or an nco or something that was coming through then you kind of got racked and stacked at the top oh okay and having an s as a last name i kept getting pushed back oh. um but i made it through all my courses and programs and yeah it was it was pretty amazing in it mm-hmm. i don't know it was i enjoyed it there's parts of it i didn't but mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was your first duty station uh tucson oh, okay yeah is that when you were with troy so me and Troy, so we met at Indoc mm-hmm. because he's a P, I'm an S. We end up becoming roommates, and uh, he was actually the first person that ever really took me to church. Oh. So that was that was really interesting. So th- this whole thing, and now he's come to a drop zone that I was facilitating at. You know, right? It's wow, it's really really cool. That is but so uh, cool. Yeah. So then you, if, if you were there in Tucson, you deployed pretty quickly after you jo- joined the unit, right? I did. I, I was there two months, and then we did Hurricane Katrina. Mm. And then, so we were there for that, and that was pretty amazing. I was like, the PJs, and I was a rescue swimmer's dream kind of mission mindset to get and go do that and help you know your brothers and sisters who are oh right yeah. there and your neighbors and those types of things. And that was pretty amazing. And then three months later, I was in, I was overseas. So. Wow. So what were some of the more impactful missions you had when you were overseas? Obviously, you had four four deployments to Afghanistan as a PJ, right? Yep. And then one to Africa. What were some of the more impactful missions you had during all that time? <sighs> There's a lot. But uh, I think they're all, I don't know. It's just so hard to really put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, they're all so different. Never, no one is never the same as mm. the next one. and. Well, I know it's difficult, too, because for you guys, when you were first heading over there, we talked about this with Troy a couple episodes ago, how initially it's like they didn't really know what to do with you guys. 
And so initially it was kind of awkward figuring out where, where to use you guys. But then once you, once they kind of figured out how to use you guys, then it was like, you guys are rolling constantly. And I've heard stories of you guys literally sitting on, on the, the bird, like eating because you're just w ready to go. Whereas before you would have been just kind of hanging out in, in like in buildings and stuff, not even ready to go all the time. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of more specific mindset for the rescue guys. We did sit around a lot because I was there. The Air Force was really had a tight grip on us, and being available for that downed aircraft type of thing mm -hmm. was what they primarily wanted us to be available for. And so they weren't willing to like stretch it out and to see what to actually use what our capabilities were. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a few times I got to go. Um, actually, my first trip, I was because I was the youngest guy. I was with a senior NCO. Mm -hmm. or uh, senior enlisted manager he was my team leader because he got set up with a specific team leader typically a hard troop and so then he just kept farming me out to different people so then i got to go that was pretty amazing because i got to go spend time with some uh, sf teams mm. and uh those 18 deltas those guys have been in it from the beginning and they were so knowledgeable and they just kind of took me under their wing and those guys i mean that was probably remarkable because it just really showed me what leadership is supposed to be mm -hmm. and what it means to really mentor somebody. Mm -hmm. And that came from those guys. And we used to always do our medical training. And I was the second or third class that didn't do medical training that um, with the 18 Deltas at this point. So I hadn't really met anyone else except for three different schools, like dive school, a bunch mm -hmm. of different things. But, um, yeah, that was huge for me in my development as a PJ was just having them mentor me. And it was just constant, like every day we'd going over medical stuff. This is what we've seen. This is how we treated it. And then also doing medicine because we they do, uh, like the villagers would come in on certain days and mm -hmm. we'd treat them and just doing like sick call stuff. But then you had the major trauma stuff too. Yeah. What was it like going from Afghanistan to Africa? I, I feel like those are probably entirely different environments. It was, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that part of Africa is kind of a, the armpit of Africa mm. and pretty run down. But our, you know, our mission there, obviously the the downed aircraft thing is kind of our mission anywhere we go. Mm -hmm. But uh, was to augment the task force that's there and and to work with those guys and the ground force that's there. That's you know, just in the, when I went there, it was kind of later, so I, I was actually running a team. I was a senior enlisted manager on that one. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly just rotating my guys in and out with the ground force that was there. Um, so that way everybody kind of got the feeling. And then it was also, you know, I put it on my team leaders that I was sending over there for them to train and constantly doing training with them so they understand what our capabilities are and they yeah. know how to utilize us better. But it was really good and it was interesting. I, I loved it. I got to go do some site surveys at other spots within the country. And there are some spots of Africa that was just beautiful and wild and it was really amazing and mm -hmm. but yeah it was good especially growing up being an outdoors guy i mean you're still an outdoors guy and and i'm sure that there's a lot of really cool places i mean i you want to be on you want to be there under better circumstances of course yeah. and actually enjoy it uh, but yeah i mean m mountains uh, you just hear the stories of where you guys are having to get dropped in to to get people um troy was talking about the the mission where you guys uh, got your air medal with valor incredible story you guys are literally on the side of a cliff just think about all these incredible places you got to go 
it seems like one of the themes, though, is that you're continually having to deal with, with death, with um, trauma on some level. But did you feel like you knew what to do with everything you were seeing and dealing with throughout that time? To be honest with you, I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, you, you train and train and train and try to prepare for the worst things mm -hmm. always whenever you're dealing with it. Even down, for me anyways, this is not my, how my mind works, but it's just like everything to like what's in one pocket on one side mm -hmm. of my leg to like making sure I had the same thing in the other side because it's like which leg's going to go first. Like that's the plan. Mm. Like when you get off and you're, you know, trying to rescue guys or pick mm -hmm. them up in a minefield. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like which leg can go first and I need to be able to get to it, whether it's on my right shoulder or left shoulder and treat myself mm -hmm. because there's probably not going to be anybody else there type of thing, you know. So I think when you come up with that mindset and then you, when things work out and you do the right things enough times, I think you develop that confidence in yourself. You're like, mm. I got this. Like, mm. And for me to, to go into a mission, I would feel more confident and comfortable doing that than many other simple things like <laughs> going grocery shopping like that was easier to me for me than it mm. was to like go to a store i've never been to type of thing isn't that interesting and we yeah. get that a lot here at drop zones where men have been in firefights for years 20 years in special operations and they are more comfortable being in a firefight than they are talking to their wife about an issue going on in their marriage or parenting or something like that because there's there's all this training and it's like okay i can kind of be in my element there but put me outside of that did you feel like your identity was was wrapped up in being a pj at that point in your life too oh absolutely mm. yeah and i you know when i came through my drop zone that was me like i created so many things that i had to accomplish in my mind right mm. nothing really has to be done but in my mind, I created so many things, just, I mean, silly things, just like things I needed to fix or work on or build or da 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 da, da to almost create chaos mm. that's controlled, that you feel in combat. Mm. Just that chaotic control, like, okay, I'm doing this, but it's okay because I can do it. Mm. But then there's so much of it, but absolutely, like, I had no idea who my wife and kids were. Mm. And that was, you know, before I came through, yeah, it was crazy because when I went home from my drop zone, it was like I'd never seen them before. Wow. It was just, it was just, it was just. <laughs> 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 my wife thought there was something wrong with me. She just, I don't know. But <laughs> it was so cool. I don't know. I'd do it again a hundred times. But oh, of course. Yeah. So what, what do you think was the, res the reason for that? Like feeling like you couldn't connect. Was your heart closed off? Yeah, just uh, a lot of wounding growing up. Mm. Um, yeah, just constantly just the perception of everyone beating me up and my own thought that I would never be good enough. And that was that, you know, that really drives you, but it drives you into a hole is what it does. And you think it's motivating you, but it's not. Mm. It's, just, it's just driving you deeper into a hole that, there's only one person who can pull you out of that hole. <laughs> right. It's interesting how we can we can carry a message our whole life that we're not good enough, we're not, we, we can't get it done, and, and still be incredibly successful. You had an incredibly successful military career. You were 
doing all kinds of cool things, and yet still there's this message underlying that we know is from the enemy that, you know, this lie, you're not good enough, you're not man enough, etc. And we can just sit there and kind of stew on that, and it stays under the surface, and no matter what we, it does, it motivates us to excel, but even in the midst of our success, there's still that message until that is broken off and dealt with, it feels like nothing's going to be good enough. Like you said, only Jesus can break that off, and then now suddenly you can walk in an identity that's not wrapped up in trying to be something. It's not, I'm just, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm the brother of Jesus, father, <laughs> son of the Father. I'm going to walk in that identity, and now you can just see the whole world from a different perspective. So you come to your drop zone. Where, where were you spiritually and emotionally before you came to your drop zone? Yeah, before I came to my drop zone, you know, I was, I mean, I was completely dead. I didn't feel emotion. Yeah. Um, I didn't, obviously, I didn't know how to express emotion. I don't even think I even tried, you know, even up to the point of when my dad passed away when I was 12. I don't even remember crying then. Mm. Like, I'd already been so beat up at that point. And then that just obviously escalated things. But, um, yeah, just... I didn't know how to do it. I didn't feel like I could even have co confidence to even talk about myself. Mm. Um, dealing with suicide a lot. And I'd even mm -hmm. had an attempt at that point. And yeah, I was just dead. There was, I literally, I can tell you now that I felt like there was no life in me. Mm. Did you feel like, like the drop zone was your last ditch effort? Did you have a lot of hope going into the drop zone that, that it was going to do anything for you? No, I didn't. I mm. didn't think it would. I thought it was just another program. Like, yep, I'm going to go to this one in our check box, right? Mm. And, yeah, and the only reason why I went is because a guy, I didn't have a relationship with him then. I do now, but, I mean, he's, you know, very spiritual brother to me in every way. Mm. And uh, I only went because he was like a hero in his, you know, in his career field. And I went because he told me to go. And I'm like, okay, I'll go because you told me. That's it. Mm. I'm not going obviously because I always felt like even with any of the pro programs or courses or whatever it was that I went through it was never for myself it was always for someone else mm -hmm. but I, I like I couldn't even like the place where I was like I couldn't even dwell in thinking yep I accomplished that and like nope I did that because that person needed me to do it mm -hmm. that is such a common theme amongst service members, pastors, leaders in general, we're so focused on this outward, you know, helping other people, serving other people that then we forget to, to turn and look at ourselves and think, hey, how, how am I doing? We, we, it, it ends up becoming this block that sometimes we can't even receive things that Jesus is trying to give us because we are so sad. Well, I got to help this person. I got to help this person. But the beauty of just stepping back and letting go of that so that we can receive whatever Jesus has. Out of that comes healing, and, and really the outflow of that is now we can serve others so much better than when we're just kind of white-knuckling and like, oh, you know, it feels like, a, feels like it's this sacrificial, honorable thing that we do. Like, oh, I'm, it's kind of like a martyr. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to fight through it, and, you know, this is honorable of me, and we can really carry that even as part of our identity, that, that, that that's a good thing. But the reality is we... It's hard. Like you said, you can't connect with your wife on a heart level 
when you're wounded and you're broken and you're, you're just trying to kind of keep the focus outside because there's just too much damage there. So when you came through your drop zone, you found that healing and that restoration. What was it like to then take that home? Uh, you got five kids, lovely family. Um, what was that like now trying to walk that out and, and re-engage them? Like you, like you said, your wife felt like something was wrong with you, like a totally <laughs> different person. How did, how did you re-engage that? Yeah, yeah, she thought, you know, I obviously I've had a lot of injuries, medically retired and all that, and she honestly thought when I got in the vehicle after she picked me up that I was a drunk again or high mm. or something, you know, and uh, not intentionally recreationally but because of the pain meds and different mm. things like that, and it was just amazing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain that, but yeah, that's what she thought. That's what she told me. She's yeah. like, I'm like, no. <laughs> Reminds me of the apostles. They're like, ah, oh, these guys are drunk in the middle of the day. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's. I mean, it's I just, just joy. It's just they're so beautiful, and it mm -hmm. was like, I don't know. It's really hard to explain, but to come home and to have life, I just felt like I was a little kid, and someone mm. just gave me all the ice cream I could ever eat in my whole life. You know, it's like <laughs> I just came home from Willy Wonka's factory, and mm. <laughs> like I just can't. Ex there was just like I felt like I was mm. so far behind. But, you know, one of the most important things is, like, you know, you run the, the race to win the crown, but it's mm -hmm. your race. Like, Jesus is going with you, and you need to stay in, in step with him, not mm -hmm. in front of him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, it, a, that's a great point. And it's different, different for everybody. Mm -hmm. you know? But, uh, yeah, you know, to come home and, and now to continue to walk this out, you know, it just, mm -hmm. it's just every day Jesus got to pull me in a little bit. He's like, hey, why don't you slow down here? Like mm. your wife's trying to tell you something and it's from me. So if you could listen, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so good. And, and mm. to have life, it, you know, to have life in me and to mm. feel emotion or even just the presence of other people around me and, and them actually w interested in me mm -hmm. and we're in the same point, like, you know, I can, I can receive and give it back, you yeah. know, as much as I can and, it's just so amazing. It's just so beautiful. You can't, mm. yeah, you, I mean, you can't put a time stamp. You can't put nothing no. on it. Except for the name of Jesus. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But. It's, it, it's, it's easy for it to feel like a mountaintop experience mm -hmm. when you leave a drop zone and then go back. And we've, we've got a whole show on it talking about that mountaintop experience. But for you, what are some of the keys for you since you've returned from your drop zone to help you walk this out and not just just end up in a pattern of, you know, especially as a facilitator, living from drop zone to drop zone, kind of the high of being with the guys and stuff. It, it as a team member, I've even struggled with that myself. Where it's like I, I just every time I leave a drop zone, it's like this is so awesome. Like I love being with the guys. I'm feeling encouraged, but then kind of you know, in between. What what are some of the keys that have really helped you walk out your restoration and your healing? You know, it's uh, I mean, we kind of talk about it, but uh. When, before I went in, I, I built houses. That's what my plan. You know, I was going to farm and build houses. That's what a lot of people do around there. That's what you did. And and I love building things. But, you know, it's so simple because you think about just the simple things that Jesus tells you, like building on the foundation of the cornerstone that's been set. Mm. And it's, you know, going back there and just kind of looking at the work that's already been laid before you, I think kind of resets you to where you need to continue. Mm. 
and it's just uh, you know developing that intimacy doing the two chairs like we suggest mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people suggest Jesus suggests it so <laughs> <laughs> just growing that intimacy with him and 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 being able you know that's that's kind of like the reset button for me it's like mm. uh, yesterday was a little too much for me type of thing it's like what do you have what do you have for me today not what's on my agenda what's on your agenda because mm-hmm. I need to reset you know but it's just I mean we talk about that mountaintop experience you know and what I've realized from that is you need to go back to that place mm-hmm. and that's where you need to re- reset from mm-hmm. It's not you're resetting to it. You're resetting from it because you had that experience. Like that happened to you. That's yours. Like Mm. go back there, find that place, Mm -hmm. find Jesus there, and then go from there. That's so good. Yeah. It's not about coming back down. It's Mm -hmm. about staying on top. And, you know, like you said, keep your thoughts on high. Mm -hmm. The the identity and the... Uh, just powerful words that we receive in these some of these mountaintop experiences if we believe that's true it's such a good thing to look back to that when we're having those struggles all right i know for a fact jesus told me i am this or he here's what he has spoken to me to be able to go back and look at that like you said that foundation i love it but that's the foundation you're moving from well, if everything else is falling apart, I know I can look back and see, like, this is my identity, that foundation, and then move forward from that. It's huge moving forward because then it's, it's not a, oh, well, I guess I'm, I'm whatever I used to think I was before that foundational experience. It's like that buffer point. I can always kind of fall back to there. That's right. This is who I am. And then I love how you said it's, it's about walking with Jesus and not running ahead of him. We partner with Jesus to do so many things. It's not us running around with like some magical power that we now have. I, I don't need Jesus anymore. He's giving it to me and I'm gonna run around and do all these things. No, we're working with him. And I think, you know, you, you and your family and, and certainly some of the stories that we, we've talked about, partnering with Jesus to hear specifically for our family. Hey Jesus, I don't really know what to do here in this moment. What do you want me to do? And to just take the time to continue hearing, because that's one of the big things that people usually walk away from a drop zone is, wow, I never really heard Jesus speak to me like this before. Uh, the, the clarity or the detail in which Jesus spoke to them. Yeah. So then to continue creating space for that moving forward, and it might not just be for us, it's good to hear that. I, I, I like every morning to kind of start my day with Jesus, like, what do you think of me? And what do you want to tell me for today? But then outside of that as well, I want to partner with you when it comes to parenting. I want to, I want to partner with you in my marriage. So what, what do you have for me to, to do with my wife, with my family and to hear and, and Jesus knows their hearts better than we do. And so he can speak and say, Hey, go say this, go do this. And to have a strategy from him as, as you're reengaging your family is huge because it, it, it's, it's a lot more successful when it's coming from him than when we're running ahead of him. That's right. Doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you're talking about that. Just you know, Jesus says take up His yoke, mm-hmm. and a, a typically a yoke of bison is two bison. And when you have a new one, you put them with the old, stronger one that kind of teaches them the way. Mm-hmm. And it's not like if you're taking up His yoke, like you're connected to Him. You're doing what He needs you to do because mm-hmm. He's leading you. And it's just interesting, you know, that <laughs> just like you brought it up, you, you can do it with Him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even. Uh, you know, since my drop zone, I mean, you, you're still going to have 
the struggles because those wounds and those old doors mm-hmm. that were open are still there. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not about going back. You have to go back to that place or mm-hmm. revisiting that old man in which you used to be. Um, it's about saying, yeah, I've come from that. Mm. You know, it's not it's like some Jesus always reminds me. He's like, he's like, this is not who you are. You mm. are mine. This is only what you've come through. Mm. And if you even look at, um, you know, uh, like if you look in Deuteronomy when he says, you know, keep my word, keep my commands. You know, remember you were in the, the desert and it was to humble you and so that you would keep my commands. Mm. And it's just it's just so beautiful, you know. Yeah. He's just trying to get us in that place, you know, where he can work with us, and we are working with him in conjunction. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's really just a, it it seems so simple now. Obviously, it wasn't then. It yeah. was very confusing and conflicting at the same time. But uh, now it's just like I'm just like, dang, I don't have to do this stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, he's there with me all every step of the way and guiding me and leading me. Mm. Yeah, and it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I, uh, we're running out of time here. I, we are definitely gonna, gonna have another conversation. I, I really want to dig into, especially the family piece. I think you, I, I love your family. Um, they intermingle with my family really well. And, uh, but I think that there's some really great lessons that, that as we've talked, that you, you have a lot to offer in that department of just how you've engaged your family. And so we'll definitely bring Bill back on and talk a little bit more about that. Thank you for your time. It's great to finally get a conversation. We've been trying to pin, pin yeah. you down and get this taken <laughs> care of and um, looking forward to always doing battle with you. For our listeners out there, make sure you are following us on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Make sure you're subscribed so you get notifications. We're coming out weekly. You don't want to miss a new episode as we move forward. And then while you're at it, if you enjoy the show, leave a rating and a review. That goes a long way in raising our visibility on the platforms. So please, if you enjoy it, leave that and then if you have any comments questions or maybe you're an alum and you're thinking to yourself man i'd love to share my story what jesus did for me shoot us an email podcast at operation restored warrior.org we'd love to hear back from you how how is this helping you um, maybe you've got a story to share and we could have a conversation about that and maybe we could bring your story onto the show so thanks again thanks for our listeners for staying with us and until next time Stay dangerous. Well, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Operation Restored Warrior podcast. I want to remind you to go check out our website at www.operationrestoredwarrior.org. When you get to the home page, you're going to see two tabs. One says, I'm a veteran. That's where you want to click if you want to apply to attend one of our life-changing drop zones. The other tab says support, and this is where if you believe in the mission of ORW and you want to continue to see lives changed by Jesus, click here and you'll find ways to partner with us as we continue this mission. Thanks again, and until next time, stay dangerous. Stay dangerous.